Welcome to the Hedgemaker Broadcast. The prophet Ezekiel prophesied to the nation of Israel many long years ago. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. He also said that the Lord sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries, located in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, is attempting to stand in the gap and make up the hedge in these days of spiritual compromise and theological apostasy. Our biblical and historical Christian heritage challenges us to fill in the gaps left by those who have moved away from their biblical foundation. Listen now as we build up the wall and make up the hedge through sound preaching from God's Holy Word. Mark chapter 11. We begin a new chapter here in Mark, but a new section. And we'll read verses 1 through 11. And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereupon never man sat. Loose him, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye, that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. And they went their way, and found the colt tied by the door without, in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him, and many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees, and strawed them in the way. And they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David, that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, and he went out into Bethany with the twelve. Let me give you a bit of an introduction here before we get into the message proper and tell you what the outline will be. This is a strategic location. Of course, the location of Jerusalem, ultimately the whole story takes place there. We've been following the life of Christ through our geography in Sunday school, and much of that geography has taken us into Galilee. Jesus had a wide, expansive, recorded ministry in Galilee. He did, however, and, and what we're reading in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke particularly, in those Gospels, there's not a record of him getting to the city of Jerusalem. Here, of course, this is going to be Palm Sunday, and so this is the beginning of the Passion Week. But Jesus had been to Jerusalem before. Mark does not say it. So let's go to Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 37. Matthew 23 and verse number 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, Look at the next phrases. How often would I have gathered thy children together, 
even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Now, probably the Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a title not just for the city of Jerusalem, but for the whole nation of Israel. But the fact is that Jesus was in Jerusalem. He certainly went there during the feasts. So he got there at least at that time. And how often, he said, would I have gathered thy children together? So he's preaching. Even though Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not record this, John records a little bit more about this because John is the one that gives us the insight into Jesus being in Jerusalem during the time of the feast, which we don't catch in the Synoptic Gospel. Jesus had been in Jerusalem many times. It's a strategic location. We do know from John's record in John 11 and the raising of Lazarus that Jesus spent much time in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus in John chapter 11, first couple of verses there. So he had warm relations. We suggested this morning with Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea that Jesus may have had a closer relationship with Joseph of Arimathea than what's recorded in the Bible. So Jesus spent time in Jerusalem with a number of these people. And so he is visiting Jerusalem periodically, you know, intermittently, going back and forth between his Galilean ministry Now, in Galilee, Jesus taught many subjects. You can go through the life of Christ and see the sermons that he's preaching. When he's in Jerusalem, what we have recorded at least, it seems that he's focusing upon one theme, and he's going to do that here in this triumphal entry incident. He's going to focus on his Messiahship. He spent his time proclaiming strongly that he was beyond question the Messiah. And that we'll see in this uh, triumphal entry And, of course, the reason would be, if it wasn't called politically a capital city, Jerusalem was a strategic location like a capital city. And, of course, the temple was there. This was the place, of course, where they were supposed to come to worship during the feast times. And Jerusalem was also a hub of activity. And there were other little towns, like we have in our text here, Bethphage and Bethany, even Jericho, which is, you know, down the side of the ridge toward uh, the Jordan River, only like 17 miles from Jerusalem. So there are towns, little villages around Jerusalem, even Emmaus that we looked at this morning, six, seven miles from uh, Jerusalem. So Jesus is spending time in Jerusalem. So often he would do that. Now, with the triumphal entry, still part of the introduction, There is a loud demonstration with this that the Lord is the Messiah. So he's focusing on that theme, Jesus being the Messiah, and uh, uh, which means the Anointed One. And the triumphal entry is a loud demonstration of the Lord's Messiahship. Now the text is going to take us to four. So I'm going to use that for an outline. Four different scenes. And in each one of those scenes, it'll be in a different location, we'll see the Lord, I'm going to call him King. There might be a difference between King and Messiah, but I'm going to kind of equate those two. And uh, we'll see King Jesus. Even though we have four locations, I'm going to divide the first scene into two parts. Okay, so scene one, part part one or part A, and uh, scene one, part B, and then scene two, three, and four. 
The first scene involves the cult. Jesus tells his disciples in Mark 11, he's sending them forth from the Mount of Olives, go your way into a village over against you, and as soon as you've entered in, find a colt tied. I often wonder about the philosophy of all of this, you know, okay, what's going on here? He's taking this colt. The taking of the colt, I think, is an emphasis upon what we're talking about tonight. Jesus is Lord. He's the king. Okay? We don't like the concept of eminent domain, but a king has eminent domain. Okay? If the Lord is king of your life, who owns your life? The king. We don't live in a monarchy. But it's a good scriptural principle. The Lord has eminent domain over your life and over my life. Jesus is being very careful here in giving the, the instructions about finding the cult because it, partly because it is a prophecy in the book of Zechariah. Let's go back to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9. The Messiah needs to fulfill the messianic prophecy. Zechariah chapter number 9. Now this is in your, if you have a Schofield reference Bible, chapter 9 says part 3. So the book of Zechariah is divided into those parts. This last part, this section, is prophecy that fits with the life and ministry and second coming of Christ. We have chapter 9 here. Let's begin reading at the beginning of the chapter. It's the burden of the word of the Lord in the land of Hadrach and Damascus, which shall be the rest thereof, when the eyes of man, as all the tribes of Israel, shall be toward the Lord. And Hamath also shall border thereby. Tyrus and Sidon, or Zidon rather, though it be very wise, and Tyrus did build herself a stronghold and heaped up silver as the dust and fine gold as mire of the streets. Behold, the Lord will cast her out, and he shall smite her power in the sea. She shall be devoured with fire. Ashkelon shall see it. Ashkelon was one of the five Philistine cities along the coast. And Gaza also shall see it. Aha, same Gaza that we're talking about in the news. And be very sorrowful. And Ekron, for her expectation shall be ashamed. And the king shall perish from Gaza, and Ashkelon shall not be inhabited. And a bastard shall dwell in Ashdod. Another one of those five cities. There's three, four, five out of four of them now. And I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. And I will take away his blood out of his mouth and his abominations from before his teeth. But he that remaineth, even he, shall be for our God. And he shall be a governor in Judah and Ekron as a Jebusite. And I will encamp about mine house because of the army, because of him that passeth by, and because of him that returneth, and no oppressor shall pass through them any more, for now have I seen with mine eyes. And I read that, I wonder how much of that is pertinent to what's happening right now in Israel. We look at prophecy, this is my opinion about prophecy, and it relates to the Lord, yes, uh, because the next verse is the triumphal entry. Okay? But the triumphal entry was kind of an introduction to the Lord being the Messiah. In a sense, we're not going to have a triumphal entry again, but the Lord is coming back. Okay, So there's trouble in the land before the Lord comes again. Verse 9 then says, 
Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Now that verse tells us what Jesus is doing. It's a prophecy that the Jews had in hand at the time that Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem. He is specifically telling his disciples to go get the colt and to follow through with every little detail because he is fulfilling this prophecy. The Jews had the idea, even the disciples, that Jesus would be this mighty king, this glorious, victorious king. I wonder sometimes when I think about that and when look at the life and ministry of Christ, why and how they have that, but you can see it with Peter's attitude when he had a sword and they came to capture the Lord and he pulled out his sword and cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. Somebody suggests that he, he missed. He tried to you know, cut him in the head. But, uh, but anyway, the Jews had this idea and Jesus has to squelch, refashion, reform their idea of the Messiah. He wasn't going to be this king. And he's riding on a colt, the foal of an ass, okay? Not on a white stallion. Do you know someplace in the Bible where Jesus is going to ride on a white stallion? Or a white horse, at least? That's when he comes as conquering king. Here, he's riding on the, the colt, the foal of an ass, in lowliness. That was a different concept than what the disciples and the Jews had in mind about the Lord Jesus Christ. So they had this prophecy. Jesus does not, well, he does. Let's do John chapter 12 and verses 12 through 19. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written... Now, as it is written, okay? Fear not, daughter of Sion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they these things were written of him in Zechariah 9.9, and that they had done these things unto him. And notice also, the people therefore that were with him, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of the grave, and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. And the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. Part of the introduction here is that uh, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Okay? Bethany, Bethphage, not that far from Jerusalem. Perhaps Lazarus was known in Jerusalem. And so getting the cult from the Malavados from the Bethany Bethphage area and the crowd, then we should probably get the impression that there are a host of people, multitudes of people at this triumphal entry following him because of this great miracle. Okay, here's the king that's going to give salvation to the nation of Israel. Remember in our history, the Jews were under Roman rule at this time and suppressed because of that and they wanted to be delivered. So, 
what Jesus is doing here in scene one, part A, he's presenting himself as a king of peace. A king of peace. Not a king of something else. And he is to come meanly, meekly, and mildly. Just the opposite of what they were looking for. Not with pomp and circumstance, but meanly. Not with all of the pageantry, but meekly. And not with a sword and a stallion and a conquering, but mildly. The king cometh, sitting upon an ass, the colt. And so he was coming, not as a conqueror riding upon a white stallion, but as a king of peace riding upon the young colt. What I think Jesus is doing here is dramatizing his messiahship so clearly that men could not fail to see and understand that he was God's Messiah. He was the promised Messiah. And he was going to the nth degree to make sure that every detail was pointing to him as this mean, uh, that means not angry, but low, meek and mild leader. Just the opposite of what they were looking for. Let's go to Luke, chapters 1 and 2. When the Lord came to this earth, there were a couple of announcements about his coming. Luke chapter 1, verses 78 through 79. This is Zechariah's prophesying, I believe. He begins in verse 67. And verse 78, 79, Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Well, you find in this early chapters, uh, Elizabeth knew it, Mary knew it, Zacharias knew it, and eventually John the Baptist, their, you know, the offspring of Elizabeth and Zacharias, will catch it, and Annas and Simeon in the temple. They knew these Bible prophecies that Jesus would be this kind of coming Messiah. And then in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, the angel host. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So Jesus came not to be this conquering king, that will come eventually, but to bring peace. And then, of course, while he was ministering, in John fourteen twenty seven, he said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then again in John 16 and verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So the Lord uh, Jesus came to give peace. And Paul even picked up on that in the book of Romans, chapter 14 and verse 17. He says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So we think of this concept of a kingdom as being a conquering thing. You can easily think how the Jews would have looked for that. You know, when you're oppressed, you want a deliverer a savior to deliver you from oppression. 
and the Lord. There were prophecies about that, by the way, and that will happen. Okay, during the tribulation, there will be the oppression of the Antichrist against the Jews and against God's people, and God will deliver Israel. So there are prophecies about that. So it, you know, to catch that concept of a Messiah as a, of that kind of a king would be easy to do. But Jesus is clearly through the tri- triumphal entry emphasizing that he is going to be a uh, a mean, a meek, and a mild king. Now, the second part of this, Jesus gives instructions to his disciples about getting the colt. Uh, the second part about the colt is actually going and uh, and getting the colt. The colt uh, was a symbol of peace. I'm told uh, that a, a king, when he's conquering, would ride on a stallion, a white stallion. When he is coming for peaceful means, he would ride rather on a colt. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. And so clearly making that, dramatizing this, this concept of the Messiah. The colt also symbolized service. Our book of Mark is about service, and we're emphasizing that as we're going through this, so I'm titling the message here tonight, The Exaltation of a Servant. And I'm not really going into this much, but if you can make the analogy to this, what do you do as a servant of the Lord when you are exalted? Okay, now, you, you can't do what Jesus is doing here because he's truly the Messiah. All right, And he is purposely exalting himself. We are supposed to not exalt ourselves. Like John said, John the Baptist, he must increase and I must decrease. And then the cold also symbolizes... Uh, a sacrifice, um, and uh, it uh, when you this this cult was never ridden before, okay, and this is the idea of a sacrifice. It's never to be ridden before, or never to be used before. Sacred uh, offerings of animals were animals that had not been used before. You can go back in the Old Testament and find concepts of that. And so the Lord uh, deliberately gives his uh, direction. So, scene one, part B, we're going to see the Lord now not only the king of peace, but a king of power and authority. He tells his disciples, go and basically take this colt. Okay? And um, they they probably had no money to, to rent a colt. And the answer was, if somebody asked you what you're doing, what's the answer? The Lord hath need of him. Okay? The Lord who is the Messiah hath need of him. And uh, there was, uh, of course, no uh, provisions for this, but the Lord was exercising his power and his authority. So in doing so, he is claiming the dignity and the rights of a king. He was doing it in the most humble practice of his day. We tend to assert authority and power in a very proud, non-humble way. Jesus is doing this in the most humble way possible, entering into the city as a king of peace, riding upon a young colt instead of a conqueror's stallion. And so he was disclaiming all of the ideas of an earthly material kingdom. He had come to save Jerusalem and the world through peace, not through war. Now we pass to scene two. 
Scene two is the triumphal entry itself. They brought the colt, of course. They put their garments on the colt. Jesus sat upon the colt. Of course, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, and you get different little details about all of this. We pick up our reading here in Mark, chapter 11, with verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus, cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him, and many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. Again, we're told this is the common thing for people to do, take their garments and put it down and uh, to cut off the branches and threw them in the way to recognize this king of the Lord. Now, back to our scenes. We're in scene number two. Scene number two, the triumphal entry itself is going to present King Jesus as the king of salvation. Now, since he's already introduced himself here as a king of peace, this is a spiritual Messiah, not... Now, he will be a physical Messiah, okay? That'll come in the future. That's still coming. But this spiritual Messiah to bring salvation, their salvation, their concept of salvation was that he was going to deliver them from the Roman rule. So, they're crying out here, back to our text, Mark chapter 11 and verse number 9, And they that went before and they that followed, so there's a group ahead and a group behind, cried, saying, Hosanna. Hosanna means save now or save we pray. So it's something about salvation. And blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. So they knew the prophecies about David being the coming king and the descendants of David ruling upon the throne that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Now, again, their concept of salvation was to be delivered from the bondage of Roman and Gentile rule. Jesus, however, was going to come to bring salvation spiritually. Now, verse 11 says, And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. So now we have seen three. Scene three is the investigation of the temple. This, I believe, symbolizes that Christ came to be obedient. So he's now a king of obedience. It says he came into the temple and when he looked round about upon all things. Jesus was doing the Father's will. If you remember, a chapter or two ahead of this, Jesus set his face to Jerusalem like a flint. He knew what was ahead in Jerusalem. So he's obedient. He is not shunning this responsibility. He is being obedient. He's about to do the Father's will. Isn't that what he told his mother and uh, the disciples, I think, in John 4.34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat there is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Here's a threat and there's opposition, Jesus is still doing the Father's will. We can learn from that. You and I need to obey God in spite of threats and opposition. Do what God asks you to do. Don't skirt around God's will to preserve your life. He that saveth his life shall lose it. We've seen in scene number one, Jesus is a king of peace and a king of power. In scene number two, Uh, the triumphal entry, he's a king of salvation. In scene number three, the investigation of the temple, he's a king of obedience. And then the last 
seen is the last phrase of verse 11, and even time was come, of course, and he went out into unto Bethany with the twelve. So the fourth scene is his seclusion to Bethany. This is preparation for the week, the most terrible, persecuted week of the life and ministry of Christ. So he is a king in preparation, preparing for what was ahead. We can't do what Jesus did and claim ourselves to be a Messiah. We are not a Messiah, but we can rest upon the Messiah. We can certainly be a person of peace, a person of power and authority that has been granted unto us. We can be people of salvation, presenting the matter of salvation to the lost. We can be people of obedience and people of preparation. So I think that's what we can learn from Jesus as a servant in this passage of Scripture. While he's exalted, he is doing it meanly, meekly, and mildly. This is Dr. Lee Hennies, and we want to thank you for listening to the Hedgemaker broadcast today. Most of our broadcasts are portions of a sermon that I have preached the church. Hedgemaker Baptist Ministries is the preaching, teaching, and writing ministry for myself. You can visit us on the web at hedgemaker.org. And let's be encouraged to stand in the gap and make up the hedge until Jesus comes again.